This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. South Korea is fighting the pandemic through extensive surveillance of its citizens, credit card transactions, cell phone data, and surveillance camera footage. Should the U.S. allow this massive intrusion into our privacy to stem the pandemic? Joining me is Harold Krent, professor at the Chicago Kent College of Law. So, Harold, you have this great public health concern versus privacy concerns. How do you balance that in this country? It's impossible to balance them well, and we saw that in the wake of 9-11. And I view this as a kind of spectrum that there's a pendulum that we have more privacy in times of peace, we have less privacy in times of war, and certainly this we have a war against the pandemic uh, right now. It remains to be seen what will happen in this country, but there has been some success with, I think I could say, two different types of surveillance mechanisms in other countries such as Israel, South Korea, and Singapore. And of course, China is the leader of all this as well. And just to set the stage, uh, briefly, uh, the technologies can be used first to detect people who are at risk of catching the virus. If you take someone who is caught the virus, and you look at their credit card data, if you look at their cell phone location data, one can easily create a web of contacts and alert people that may, they may have been exposed. And indeed, you could take a step further, as some countries have, and impose a mandatory quarantine on those people who may have received the virus. So that's the first sort of set of tools that have been used. The second set of tools that have been used are to enforce a quarantine. Right now, we have shelter in place in, in large parts of this country, but no one really knows whether those rules are being um, abided by. You can create a mandatory app on a cell phone that detects when people leave their quarantine. You can use that location data to, to ensure that they're there, and you can back that up with some kind of surveillance cameras facial recognition through AI, and so forth. So technology does have a lot of promise, both to detect people who may be exposed to the virus, um, but also to enforce quarantines if we have to. But the question is, as you posed in the beginning, should we, does this sort of foretell a kind of defeat of privacy in the long run? Those measures that you mentioned, for example, making sure that people are staying in if they're quarantined. And in China, I know that they're requiring people to have software on their phones that classifies each person with a color depending on their exposure to the virus. But this not only sounds like Big Brother, it starts to sound, should I say un-American, to, to start tracking <laughs> movements to that so extent? It, you mentioned about China is, is sort of the, the, the height of AI and predictive analytics. They look at a basic sort of set of, of uh, factors, such as who you've been contacted with, what is your health, et cetera, et cetera, to forecast what kind of danger you are of contracting the virus in the future. And based on those predictive analytics, you are assigned a color, and the color allows you either some access to some government buildings or not, access to restaurants or not. Um, and that really is very frightening because our liberties then are being conditioned based upon an algorithm and an algorithm that may actually be faulty more times than not. Can the public do anything to stop high-tech intrusions into their civil liberties? Well, I think that the first question is we do have our constitution protections. We do have statutory protections such as HIPAA or health information in this country. And any kind of measure that, for instance, would intrude upon or pass on 
our secret health information, such as the fact that we had the virus, would be now subject to HIPAA. So Congress would have to debate this and decide to suspend HIPAA for the for the period of this uh, pandemic. Um, and so we'll have at least some ventilation, so to use that word, of the issues now. And the Fourth Amendment does protect, according to the Supreme Court, at least the location data of our phones. So right now we have some protection from that. But of course, if Congress passed a statute saying in a limited emergency, we should have the ability to track cell phone data so we can get a better sense of the spread of the virus and then stop it, that might be a sufficient governmental interest to override the privacy interests at stake. If we do that, the one thing that I would urge if I were a legislator is to put in the bill protections for the long term. And I have in mind, I think, three, though other people may have others that they would suggest. Like we had with the Patriot Act about 20 years ago, any kind of bill that collects that information should be only valid for a short period of time. And Congress would have to reenact it within a matter of a year or two. That's one protection. I think the data that we, we would collect, because it is such sensitive data, should be destroyed after a certain amount of time. Um, so that I, the fear is once you have this data, you can massage it for so many purposes. And, you know, you can think about undocumented citizens and I'm uh, sorry, documented individuals in this country um, who would not want to be tracked um, and many other groups that might be politically adverse to the current um, government. So I think that the data might be used carefully for to help our fight against the pandemic. But if Congress does this debate, um, I, I hope that they bake into whatever provisions that they enact real protections to make sure this doesn't carry forward into a long-term erosion of our civil liberties. When you look at one instance, New York has passed a law giving the governor unlimited authority to rule by executive order during a crisis. Now, any litigation about these laws or passed by states or Congress would take longer to get through the courts, possibly, than the pandemic itself. So then yeah, do that we... That may be true. And, and we don't know. I mean, still, obviously, the governor's ability to rule by executive order doesn't eliminate our civil liberties, and we do have constitutional rights, but as a practical matter, it's difficult to get this litigation um, resolved within a quick amount of time, particularly given the courts are somewhat paralyzed. Um, so we do have a risky situation here, and you can see that by looking at what's happened in Israel and Singapore um, and Hong Kong, where there are vigorous civil liberties debates going on right there now because of the surveillance activities taken by the government. Even if it's in good faith, they can make mistakes. Uh, they can lead to sort of sort of case-by-case -case errors, um, as well as this massive trove of information that could be used in the future for nefarious purposes. And then if you start with this, do you then risk opening the door to even more kinds of surveillance in the future, post-pandemic, sort of like what happened yeah, with 9-11. Once we become used to government surveillance, uh, then we become less worried about it. And I think that's been true, too, because the private sector has so much information about us, right? If you think about what Google, Amazon, and Facebook knows about us, we become sort of inert to the loss of privacy. And so some people may say, look, there is no privacy anymore. They'll might as well let the government use it too. Maybe they'll do something better with it than 
Amazon, Google, and Facebook are doing right now. Are there any indications that the Trump administration is considering any of these surveillance matters? Yeah, my understanding is that the CDC is now uh, embarking upon a study of what kind of surveillance activities they can use in the states. Obviously, it's a little late here. Uh, so much of it's spread already so that it's, it can't be used as effectively as it has been in other countries. But there are still some parts of this country where that kind of surveillance activities can be used quite um, effectively. And I know that they are looking at what other countries have done, but there have no, are no concrete proposals today. I'd expect one within a, probably a couple of days. There's also the problem with outing of coronavirus patients and instances of outing so that people know your, your health. They know your health data. In one instance, at the very beginning of the outbreak in New York, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio posted details about the second person in New York to test positive for the virus. And the man was identified quickly as patient zero. And apparently there's a lot of that kind of outing going on in different countries. In Singapore, they're posting information online about each coronavirus patient, and I think in South Korea as well. So that's another problem. Yeah, the whole idea of confidentiality and health of information is it's a long, important part of our culture. And we saw this with AIDS, uh, people who contracted AIDS about 20 years ago, and how awful it was if those names were, were posted in the public. Indeed, some people thought if the government did that, that would result in a due process violation. We're seeing that now. We saw that with de Blasio in New York. We've seen that in other countries. And I do hope that at the minimum, even if this surveillance takes place, it takes place with a recognition that we can ensure some kind of privacy for those who are afflicted and their families as well. Thanks so much, Harold. That's Harold Krent, a professor at the Chicago Kent College of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.